Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy, are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to use comprehensible input when teaching languages, specifically the TPRS method. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Adriana Ramirez of British Columbia. Recently, in my interview with Jamie Bonato about teacher attrition, we were talking about how stressful being a beginning teacher can be, and I said... The first few years was finding my teaching philosophy. Was I more about the students or more about the subject matter? Was I fact-based or skill-based? What was my language teaching philosophy? Was it authentic resources or comprehensible input? I'm still struggling with that one. The choice between using authentic resources, i.e. resources that are created by native speakers in their specific cultural context, and comprehensible input i.e. resources that have been created specifically for language learners, is a divisive issue in the language teaching community, and is often also a proxy for the argument of whether we should teach grammar explicitly or implicitly. Indeed, the biggest argument I've ever seen between educators was at a French language teaching retreat where, after a couple of glasses of wine, someone brought up the comprehensible input strategy TPRS and chaos ensued. In episode 18, I spoke to Rebecca Blue Wolf about the importance of using authentic language resources in the classroom, which, to date, has been the most downloaded episode. Now, 30 episodes later, I'm speaking to Adriana Ramirez about using comprehensible input in the classroom. What strikes me in listening to both is that, Despite what some tipsy teachers were yelling at each other, there's a lot more overlap than you might expect when you look past the misconceptions about either teaching method. I was very fortunate that Adriana, one of the most passionate educators I've had the privilege of interviewing, was willing to talk to me in late August to discuss her choice to teach with comprehensible input strategies, define TPRS, which stands for Teaching Proficiency Through Reading and Storytelling, for what it is and isn't, and respond to many of the critiques that are often lobbed at TPRS teachers. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Before we begin, do you mind giving your name and who you are and what you do? Of course, thank you for inviting me. I am so excited to be here with you. I am happy, honored, everything. Aww. Thank you. So my name is Adriana Ramirez. I am originally from Colombia, and I moved to Canada 11 years ago. I live in the Vancouver area. I am a teacher. I teach Spanish in high school, and I was a teacher in Colombia as well. And, well, I love teaching. That's my life. I can't wait to go back, although not these are not going to be the best circumstances this year, but I miss my kiddos. I know, and we'll totally get to to that in a second, because I'm super curious about how this method 
adapts uh, digitally. But to backtrack, the reason that we're talking is that you are a proponent of TPRS, uh, which is a language teaching method, which I've done a little bit of training with. I had a, a colleague that worked with it. And I want to talk all about that, maybe do some problem solving for bringing it into someone else's language classroom. But do you mind just explaining what it is? Yes, of course. Okay, so TPRS stands for Teaching Proficiency Through Reading and Storytelling. And is one of very, of like a lot of um, ways, methodologies to teach languages with comprehensible input. So comprehensible input is a concept. Think of it as an umbrella, a concept. And under that umbrella, we have TPRS, we have movie talk, we have picture talk. All of those are ways to provide comprehensible input to the students. So the idea behind all of comprehensible input methodologies, one of them being TPRS, and to me, the the backbone of my teaching, the, the, the storytelling, the idea is teaching the language and not teaching about the language. So that's the idea behind. This is backed up by years of research, like 40, 50 years of research, actually. Dr. Stephen Krashen, everyone is familiar with, it, with him in this world, and Dr. Bill Van Patten, and other, so many researchers have proven this. Like our brains are hardwired to learn through storytelling and comprehensible input, not through grammar. My understanding of the TPRS methodology is that you're basically telling a story, depending on the level, with certain vocabulary, and you're just circling back while getting kids engaged in the story. Do you mind maybe walking me through how you would teach a typical TPRS lesson? One thing that before I, I walk you through like a normal class that I want to make clear is that a misconception that other teachers that do not know the methodology will say, oh, but you don't teach grammar and we need to teach grammar. So of course, we teach grammar. Grammar is embedded, it's part of the language, it's embedded to it. You cannot teach any language without the grammar because it's, it's just part of it. The thing is that we don't teach the grammar explicitly, we teach it implicitly the same way we learn our first language, our mother tongue. It's, it's there. It, like you just, you talk to a five-year-old and the five-year-old conjugates the verbs perfectly. So that's what we do. So as a teacher, of course, you know in your head, you know what verbs you're using today, what grammar structures, what words you need them to learn because we scaffold the stories. Like this story is going to prepare them for the next one and the next one is a, like a very beautiful scaffolding process. So as a teacher, I kind of have my skeleton of the story in my head with the grammar structures and everything. And then I start providing comprehensible input with the story. I tell the story sentence by sentence. I go super slow. I let them help me with some details so they feel part of the storytelling process, like names and places and ages and descriptions. So it's like it feels like we're building the story together, although I know I'm taking them to a specific point. 
we circle, circle, circling is how we call asking a lot of questions about the same sentence. So, for example, the boy lives in Canada. Where does he live? Does he live in Canada or in the U.S.? Does he live in the U.S.? Who lives in Canada? How many boys live in Canada? Does a boy or a girl? So all those questions is circling for each sentence. It's, it's a technique. As a teacher, you have to get used to it. It, it requires some practice as with everything in life but that's what allows the repetition and that repetition allows the students to build robust representations in their heads of the language the beauty of this is that after like several stories the grammar in the students is it's already part of them without knowing the labels that we actually don't need to know the fancy labels so for example in spanish a lot of my students make a mistake saying like Yo quiere, which is I want, but then it sounds wrong, and they st I don't say anything. They stop because they, they know it sounds wrong, and they think for a second, and then they correct themselves and they say Yo quiero, and then that is so beautiful. I feel the happiest teacher ever because that's what we want, like. We want that feeling. It, this doesn't sound right or this sounds right of the grammar. And that is acquired through lots of repetition. I had a colleague who was also a Spanish teacher who did TPRS. And when she showed me writing samples of her students, they were just amazing, like way above what we would think of as quote unquote level because they had had so many exposures and they also had such a intuitive understanding of, of grammar rules that they were able to then apply it to other things without thinking, oh, I need to go look at a verb chart. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we want. For instance, like my husband is from Colombia too. So this, so many years ago, I was asking him just for fun, Spanish like French has two past tenses. So I was asking him, do you know that we have two past tenses in Spanish? And we were born, grew up, went through university, master's degrees in Colombia. So like we are hardcore fluent in Spanish. So I asked him like, do you know we have two past tenses in Spanish? And he was like, oh, we do? I was like, yeah, for example, this and that. And he was like, oh, but that's what I want. Like, I don't want them to worry about the labels. I want them to be able to use them the same way we native speakers do it. And when I came to Canada that I was doing my teaching certification and I had to take some courses at the university level, I remember I was asking the English professor, can you explain to me why this is wrong, a sentence? And he was like, I don't know. It just sounds wrong. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> that's, that's TPRS. <laughs> I was hoping to go through some hiccups that I or some other teachers or some maybe some critiques. And if you could address those from the TPRS point of view. Mm -hmm. Perfect. The issue of comprehensible input, which I understand is the best for learning the language versus authentic resources, which are best for appreciating and trying to understand the, the culture of 
of the the peoples who speak the language. Like, how does that reconcile? So uh, think of think of a first uh, grader. You are not going to give a first grader Shakespeare. You give a first grader uh, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? So are you going to tell me that that first grader is not reading authentic English literature because he's not reading Shakespeare? No, he's reading at his level. And all those books, all those picture books, all those little stories that they read or we read to them are scaffolding the process. So when they get to the right age, right mental level and right language level, they can read Shakespeare and enjoy Shakespeare. So it's the same with our students. Our students are babies in the language. So we need to treat them as babies in the language. So they're my babies in Spanish. I cannot give them Garcia Marquez in grade nine because it would be the most stupid thing ever. <laughs> but I can scaffold the process. So when they are in grade 12, they, they actually do it out of pleasure. My grade 12 students that are taking IB, I also, I also teach IB. I take them from zero to IB. Some of them have advanced so much in just four years, which is by semesters. You know how it works here is by semester, four years, meaning like two years, literally, because it's four semesters. They are reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez at the end, Cien Años de Soledad, 100 Years of Solitude, like for pleasure, by themselves. Wow. How do we get to that? With the little stories that we started in grade nine about the blue cat and the blue cookies and the cow that stinks. So, yes, it is authentic Spanish at their level of the language because they're babies. And then I scaffold, scaffold, then we start introducing novels written for language learners because it wouldn't make sense if I give them another thing. But the language starts blossoming. And when they are ready, they will actually get those so-called authentic books and resources and read them and smash them so proud because they got there and they can do it. So it's the same. It's like there are babies in the language. You wouldn't talk to a great one about politics. Why would you talk about politics to a great one or, or even an elementary student? But you can talk about politics to a high school student. But everything that you talk at home about values and ethics and choices is preparing them to talk about politics when they get to high school. All those vocab words, all those concepts. So it is the same. So... When teachers come with the, oh, but you're not using authentic resources. Like, yes, I mean, I'm using a Spanish. A Spanish is authentic. My Spanish is as authentic as, as anyone else. Like, I'm using a Spanish. I'm communicating with them. And I am building those mental representations so they can go and read any Spanish book or watch any Spanish series that they want and feel successful with it. How do you expose them to different types of Spanish, because I know that, I mean, obviously the, the younger level, there's no real distinction as, as far as I understand, but obviously there is, you know, accent or vocab. And I know that a big part of the authentic language learning movement is about, you know, listening to someone from Haiti uh, in their Haitian French, as well as, you know, Quebec and France and, and really traveling the world 
Are you able to do that with TPRS in the different Spanish-speaking countries and cultures? Yes, of course. So like you said, like grade nines, which is my beginners, it's just like it doesn't make sense. Like just learn the language. Let's build good foundations and that's it. Then when we move on to second year Spanish, which in my case would be grade 10, I start using a lot of singers from different countries. Like I, I make sure I choose singers from countries, different Spanish countries around the world, and then they can start picking up their accents, how they pronounce the word. I stop. I tell them, listen, listen, look how I say it and look how they say it. Little short clips of like TV commercials and things like that. And the more they get advanced in the language, the more I throw it. With my IB students, we watch different videos, commercials, from everywhere, Spain, Argentina, Uruguay, Venezuela, Colombia, Cuba. So they, and they start seeing it, but they, their foundation in the language is already very strong. So recognizing the accents makes sense now. It is the same, like I think of myself when I was living in Colombia and, and I was growing up, You, when you are a child, you're not aware of other people, accents and differences. You're just a child. You're just communicating. But when your Spanish isn't strong enough and then you start listening to soap operas and Mexican telenovelas and then you're like, oh, you, you, but your Spanish is already strong. And then you listen to, to the telenovelas and you're like, oh, they actually speak a little bit different than I do. That is so cool. And you try to speak like them. But your Spanish is already like there. It's strong. It's It has a robust representation. So it is the same. You introduce them little by little. And when they are advanced students, then you just, boom, like flow them with all these different accents. But they get it. They, they will understand how you say, llamo, 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 llamo. But they already know it's the same word. So I guess it's the same with French. I'm, I'm actually learning French right now. Ooh. I'm so excited with the stories. So I, I'm not, I'm far from being advanced, but at this point, I'm ready to listen and pick up accents. I was not at that point when I was a beginner. Just like, let me learn my French first. And then at this point, I'm like, oh, yes, they sound different than that one. So it's a natural process. When do you start focusing on their output? Because I know just how kids learn. Like you don't ask a first grader to write a book, but you can expect them to read a book. But eventually, you know, we expect them to start having conversations. How, how does that transition work? So it's just natural. Like you're going to hear in the TPRSCI world that people are going to say, do, do not force output. Let it come out when it needs to come out. It comes out pretty quick. First week, people are, are already answering questions. It's just that I'm not going to force something that you're not ready to produce. I'm not going to make you run a marathon if you have not run 5K in your life. So it is the same. For some people... Answering a question is moving their head for a yes or no. But if I ask the question and the answer is yes, and you're moving your head and it means yes, that means you understood and your output is moving your head. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate that. For the other student might be saying yes. And for the other student might be saying, yes, I like it. 
So there are different ways of output, and that is differentiation for every student process and respecting their learning process. Output comes when they're ready, and they're ready pretty fast. The more input you give them, the more output they produce. There is a myth from like teachers that are not TPRS teachers that they always tell me, oh, but you guys focus a lot of input and not on output. No, output happens naturally. We just don't force it. But when they are engaged in the conversation or the story, they yell out the answers. So output happens like right away. I'm just not forcing it. I am celebrating it, encouraging it. The writing after a week of, of storytelling, first week in their lives of learning Spanish, they can write a story without memorizing, like retell me the story, not like a brand new story. Retell me the story, 100 words, 150 words, not memorizing. So output comes pretty fast. It's just that you try to respect the learning process of each student. A personal example, I got really excited about TPRS. My colleague, Sonia Neal, was doing amazing work. I went to a workshop and I felt like I learned German, a language I'd never been exposed to in like an hour. But then when I brought that back to my department, it was a discussion around, well, if you do this, then you're going to mess up everybody else in the department. Like it's all great and good for the Spanish teacher who's the only Spanish teacher in the building. But if you're teaching with multiple other teachers and the kids never really know who they're getting as a teacher, if one teacher does TPRS and another teacher teaches in a traditional, maybe grammar exploratory way, then the kids are just, it, it can't work. That's a, that's a selfish perspective because at the end of the day, we have to do what is best for our students. So I don't, like, I, we shouldn't care about, like, if it's harder for the other teachers, we should get what is better for the students. And on top of that, it doesn't affect the other teachers. Why would it affect you? Let's say we both teach French and I teach French 9 and you teach French 10. Why would it affect you if you get the students with a higher level that you're used to? Like, it, you should be happier because you can do more with them. And if it's the opposite, TPRS is more efficient and the students do learn way more during a normal school year. But like if you teach French 9 and I teach French 10 and I get your kids, they're going to be a little bit lower from what I am expecting, but that's okay. I adapt to where they are at and I take them from there and keep working. So... At the end of the day, it's not a problem. It's just like the, whoever teaches TPRS has to adapt to the kind of kids they are getting. And the other teachers are going to be getting kids with more language. So isn't that fantastic? <laughs> yeah, I guess you just need to teach them the names of the different verb tenses you're wanting them to identify, if that's the biggest bugaboo. And then the next thing was, again... Sonia, amazing teacher, but man, was she exhausted by the end of the day because you were really on your feet, 
performing. And I know that there are some teachers that are very extroverted and just really feed off of that performance energy. But I also know some teachers that, you know, they love being teachers, but that constant giving of energy is just, they're not getting back what other teachers are from that performance. And it can be really draining compared to a more traditional method of teaching. Yes. So yes, you are performing. Yes, you're teaching. You're earning every cent that you get in every paycheck. But as a TPRS teacher, you have to plan your week in a way that you know you have a couple days or three days that you are like more like on the stage and then you plan a couple days that are more around the reading part or other works. So you have to play with that. So you give yourself some breaks within the lessons, but definitely uh, it's not that you are at your desk while they are filling the blanks. You are there having a conversation with them. Being this set though, it gets easier. I remember my first three, four years doing TPRS, and I'm saying three, four years, and I want to make an emphasis on this because a lot of, like, we are used, when we are experienced teachers, we are used to being masters of our little world, which is our classrooms. <laughs> and, and then when we have this training of a new methodology, and then we try it for a week or a couple of weeks, and it doesn't work, we are like, eh, I'm just going to go back to what I was doing because I was already good at it. But changing methodologies, it feels like you're a first-year teacher again. And we don't want to feel that. We don't like that feeling as teachers because it, it we worked really hard to move away from that point. So I would say three, four years, it was hard. It was really hard. Meaning like, yes, I was tired. I was like, Ooh, I need more coffee than usual. But then you get the groove of it. And now it's a conversation with my students. Now it's just a conversation. Everything is a conversation. I'm meeting with this group of people that I love and adore. And then we're chatting. We're asking each other questions. I'm telling them a story. So now to me is the most relaxing thing ever, but I worked to get to this point. It takes time. I'm not like, I, I compare this, like I'm a runner, like riding a marathon. The first time, the first two or three years, and I'm going to put it in years because it's the same length, three years as a runner, every time you run 10K in your head is like, oh, I just ran 10K. Oh my God, that's a lot. And it's hard and it's never get easier, easier for the three, four years of like uh, as a runner. I've been running for 10 years. I don't run less than 10K. It's not worth the sweat. I know it sounds really like, oh my God, look at her. But it's just like you, your body is used to running so much then less than 10K is like, uh, why not 10K if I can do it? So that's that's the analogy. It gets better. <laughs> the other criticism, but I feel like maybe this is more of a condemnation on the teacher who asks this is they're like, well, I do the same unit year to year to year to year without changing it. But with TPRS, I'm constantly having to change it based on my students' feedback or their interests or what's going on in the world, which I feel like even if you're teaching traditionally, you probably should be making some changes based on those kinds of things. But you aren't as reliant on the same stuff 
from from year to year as you would be if, let's say, you were following a textbook. Yes, I published, I wrote and published a, a whole curriculum to teach with TPRS, and it's in Spanish and French. It's translated into French as well. Because of that, like I want to have and I want to give teachers some like a like a good way to count on something like you don't have to plan every week from scratch every year so these are your stories you don't have to think of them you don't have to write the stories every time these are the stories now you work on getting better at the methodology you work on getting better at the questioning adapt the same story adapted to every class. So like the stories that I use are the same. For example, grade nine, I have four grade nine classes. It's the same story about the blue cats, for instance. But it looks completely different in every class because I adapted with every class and the names and the places and the adventures of the blue cat are going to be different. But the grammar structures are the same for all of them. So... You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are some people like myself that have created a basic curriculum that help you get there. So you have some things, some boxes checked that you don't have to rethink. And then you adapt every semester, things here and there. And it makes it fun also as a teacher, like bringing a new song, bringing a new picture talk, a new movie talk. It changes your teaching as well in a good way. I, I ended up having sort of structures in place for when or if a substitute teacher needed to come into my classroom. There were certain games or improv scenes, structures or things like that, that I would just say, do this, do that. You know, the kids know what to do. And the kids kind of basically ran the class. How with TPRS are you able to step outside of the classroom when you are the lesson? Mm -hmm. Good question. So I'm not expecting, of course, any substitute teacher to know TPRS. I'm not even expecting them to speak Spanish, to be honest. So when I am away from my classroom, I have my emergency lesson plans. And it's always based on stories. Like I have emergency stories, like simple stories with questions and comic strips. So if I am going to be away in an emergency way, like I don't have plan time to plan according to what we're doing, they're going to be reading, which is fantastic. They're going to be reading, answering compre comprehension questions and doing a comic strip on the reading. And that will take a whole block. So that's more than perfect. The substitute teacher does minimal work, just like make sure they're working and, and not wasting their time. Now, if I am, if I can plan my absence because it's a meeting and I know the meeting is happening Friday and I've been working on this, uh, sometimes it gets easier. I try to finish certain things. If I'm reading a novel, I try to leave for them to read this chapter or answer these questions. So it's not, it's not that bad. Uh, I recommend that having a pool of stories, simple, like simpler stories, assuming that the substitute teacher doesn't speak the target language, is a good way. Stories, questions, comic strips, easy for everyone. The students keep learning like crazy and we're all happy. I 
never went fully into TPRS, but I did pull some like the the picture talk and the movie talk and that kind of stuff. And I did work with some comprehensible input stories with my students. Do you think that there's value in teachers kind of dipping their toes in a little bit? Or do you think to really get the value, you need to go in 100%? Is it a gradual release that's possible? Or you just need to throw out your old binders and just go full hog? Well, it depends. It depends on the personality. For some teachers, it's very scary just to jump in the water. Some some teachers are just that kind of people, and then they just jump no matter what, and then they'll figure it out when they're swimming. <laughs> it is it is personality. I see it like a personality kind of thing. There is always value, always value, even if you keep working on the more traditional approach. There is always value in including other uh, like stories and novels and movie talks, beautiful. Now, the more in-depth you get into the research, when you start reading and listening to podcasts, the more you understand how humans acquire languages, naturally you will move away from the grammar approach. Because at the end, the more you understand, like, but you have to understand this from your brain and your heart. And you cannot understand this by someone telling you, you have to do your work. You have to do the reading and you have to spend the hours reading, listening to podcasts and learning. Um, so at the end, you understand that it's like water and oil. That they don't mix. So at the end, you end up dropping one and embracing the other one. But, of course, if you are just like trying to experiment, go for it. You want to keep a, a foot on a safe net and trying to get the other one wet, go for it. But you will see the full blossoming of their language brains when you embrace it all. One of the things that strikes me is so longtime listeners uh, will know my own story, which is that I became a French teacher because I was the most qualified of the unqualified, loved it so much, went back, got certified, did a whole bunch of immersion, and now I feel very confident in my French language speaking capabilities. But when I first started, I was literally a day or two ahead of the kids and scrambling back to think of my own high school French. I feel like although my story might be somewhat unique, it's not so unique in that, especially in Canada, where there's so much demand for especially French teachers, that those of whom are teaching French are not always fluent French speakers. And so there's this feeling of, well, if I can hide behind the worksheet, or I don't feel confident just standing up there telling a story, like, is there a place for someone who is still on their own learning journey of language to also be doing TPRS in the classroom? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so, unless, I mean, you have to have some, some level of, of proficiency way above that your students. You cannot be one chapter ahead of them. That's not a big difference of proficiency. You can be an intermediate student in the language and, be, and teach the beginners. That's possible. But I know what you're saying because we're lacking 
language teachers, unfortunately. And then some teachers that don't know the language, they're placed there. They don't even want that, but they're just placed there. And and they have to go because that's the reality. No one is judging them one chapter ahead of the students. But uh, that wouldn't work because you do need to have proficiency in the language. You don't have to be 100% fluent, 100% proficient, but you do have to have like a decent distance from your learners so you can move and swim around the pool with them a little bit. Is there like a unit or a particular story that is your absolute favorite to teach? So I follow my own curriculum with my own stories. Um, oh, I like them all. And it depends on the class. It depends on the class. And some stories are a hit with one class and they are normal with the other class. So it depends. I remember last year, first semester, uh, one of the stories, this class was so crazy in a good way. I I just remember them a lot. I don't know. Maybe it was, I remember them a lot because it was my last class before we went on quarantine. So <laughs> maybe it's the last, the last memory that I have of like teaching in the classroom. They kept bringing the characters from one story because they wanted to, from one story to another story to another story. And then every story happened in an underworld below the past story. And it was so funny. <laughs> so yeah I don't know so I don't have a favorite story they all they're all good and one story that you might think I, yeah this is a good story normal story it might be like an absolute hit with one class so it's just like let them surprise you kind of feeling I imagine too that like a, a big complaint that I think language teachers have, or at least I definitely had, was that the resources that were being prepared for us or that we could purchase were not really representative of who our students are as people culturally. It's obviously very, you know, white-centric to begin with, but then to, you know, there's no way for any textbook or novel to predict the exact makeup of your class and I kind of tried to solve that problem with doing improv so that my kids brought their culture in and showed that to us. But I imagine it's the same way with the storytelling is when you're pulling suggestions, you're getting a reflection of, of who these kids are, what their values are, what kind of stories they want to see, you know, what families they have at home and how that gets reflected in the story, all those kinds of things. Yes, and, and then we bring it, when we personalize the stories, we're allowing the students to bring their culture into the story. So that's why the same story looks different in every class, because you have different kind of like cultures in every class, depending on how the classes were arranged. So like, a couple of years ago, I had a class that I don't know why, don't ask me why, they were grade nines, they were hardcore into communism, like, I don't know why. And they knew all the communist leaders, their day, their date of birth and death and wives. Like, what is this, please? I, I just want to I want to put in for our American listeners that uh, not all Canadian kids are communists. Yes. Um. yes. <laughs> no, this is weird. Like, this is not like this is not I mean, not nothing wrong with it. It's just something that a great nine wouldn't know. 
So these kids were obsessed with it and then and and they were passionate about it and, and we went along with it and every single story had a communist character. They were hilarious and they were like led by them with me having the skeleton of the story and, and everything is very appropriate. We we keep it super appropriate in the classroom, but led by them. So with that you bring you bring what they want to bring into the class. And then we do picture talks as well when they're a little bit more advanced and they share about their cultures and their traditions. So we feel like a community of different cultures in which we appreciate and respect each other. And when you guys went to online, you were in the middle, I imagine, of a, of a cycle of stories. How, how did you adapt to that? So what I did, there are different ways of doing it. And you can see uh, different amazing TPRS teachers adapting the methodology in different ways. And they're all beautiful, beautiful ways of working. The way I did it because of my reality, and this depends on your school district, what your principal asks from you, your students. So there, there are different things that you have to take into consideration. i I had a students that um, told me and parents that told me that they were working from home. They had little ones and the bigger ones, which are my students, had to be in charge of babysitting their siblings, meaning like making sure they were paying attention, doing their homework so they couldn't be on synchronous classes because they were in charge of the siblings. So they had to do the work at night or in the afternoon or other parents told me we don't we only have a computer at home and I am using the computer I'm working so he can use my computer when I finish my work hours so I like listening to all these things I wanted to be very fair with my students realities so I didn't demand synchronous classes I opened spots of synchronous time for those that could make it uh, and then they came and we had the storytelling via, we have to use teams in our district. Uh, we had it online and it went fine. And But then I, I recorded myself telling the stories more like a story listening. So there is, I don't know if you've heard of the different ways of telling a story. So story asking, storytelling and story listening is when you tell them the story and you draw it at the same time you're telling it. You don't expect a lot of input from them. It's more you telling them a story. It's another way of providing a CI. So I did a lot of story listening, recorded myself, uploaded the videos on our team's class so they could see me telling the story on their own time. And then they had the reading and everything. And it went pretty well. Uh, most of them did their work. Most of them, like I would say, 99.9% did their work. And whoever could come to class came but it was not if you didn't come you were not punished for it it was just like if you're here I'm happy to see you let's have fun but I understand if you cannot make it so it went well and I learned a lot I mean no one was we were not expecting this so we were learning at the same time that we were doing the thing so it went well I I would do a couple of things differently but mainly I liked the way it went you're going back in September. Like, what are you looking to do? It's going to be quarter system. So I'm going to have, instead of having four classes, which is what I usually have in a semester, I'm going to have two classes for two months and then we finish. 
and then two other classes, the other two months. So I'm going to see my kids two hours and a half, then they go. And then I see the other class two hours and two and a half hours. I'm just going to keep like nothing changes. I mean, like I, I will tell the story. Of course, I have to give them breaks, of course. So because we have a lot of fun, most of the times when the class ends, the block ends after 70 minutes, we are like, what? <laughs> I cannot believe the class ended. So it's not going to be a big deal. I have to be very aware of like giving them breaks. So maybe do storytelling for 30 minutes, do a brain break, stretch, some TPR, which is movements, go to the bathroom, take five minutes break, come back. Like I have to be aware of that as a teacher, but I don't think it's going to be a major thing. And then we're just going to finish the stories faster, which is fine, but it's going to be the same amount of time. The reading is going to be in class as well. And that's going to be my break when they are reading by themselves, the story that we produce together. If there's a teacher who's like, wow, this is the answer I've been looking for. Obviously, I'm going to be putting some links to the curriculum that you've created, as well as your own social media. Are there other people in the field that you think that they should follow on social media or look at their websites? Yes, a lot of people. There are a lot of wonderful TPRS teachers. So uh, there is um, Liam Printer. He's in Switzerland. He has a podcast on teaching with TPRS, focused with like motivation, intrinsic motivation. And he shares a lot of things on social media as well. Alina Filipescu, she's in California. Jason Fritz, he is in California as well. I don't know. There are so many good TPRS teachers that I love and learn from them a lot. So they should follow you and then follow the people that you follow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we will do that. So Adriana, thank you so much for talking to me today. I I feel really inspired by what you talked about. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's about having fun and for so long, language classes have not been fun. Thank you for having me here. And I, I, I think I talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. More details about this episode, links to resources or people we mentioned, and information in general about the podcast and its mission can be found at LessonImpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.